Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job or told that person in high school how much you liked them? Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My guest today is Emma Forbes. Emma became a household name presenting a cooking slot on the BBC show Going Live and was then selected as a co-presenter for the infamous Saturday morning children's show Live and Kicking, which she presented alongside Andy Peters for three years. She went on to have a hugely successful career in radio, and after shows on Heart and Capital, Emma went on to co-host a BBC Radio 2 Saturday show alongside Alan Carr. Since then, Emma has relocated to Long Island with her husband and two children, Lily and Sam. Emma has now turned her hand to well-being after a natural curiosity and fascination for all things health and wellness. Her motivation behind her lifestyle website, by Emma, was to create a platform that encompasses everything she loves in life, from fashion and food to health and well-being. She has also recently launched her Life and Soul podcast, which is all about what makes people tick and asks guests what gives them life and what feeds their soul. Emma is a true TV and radio royalty, and I cannot wait to chat to her about her sliding doors moments. Hi, Emma. Welcome so much to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm laughing about being TV royalty. I don't, I don't dress like royalty anymore. <laughs> I know, but you really are. You really are. And I mean, a lot of people have probably kind of just started to rediscover and reconnect with Emma Forbes, me included, probably because of your podcast. And I know that you have spoken before about you having 
a part one in your life and a part two. Yeah. Um, so for everyone that might not have seen Emma Forbes around recently, what have you been doing and where are you at the moment? Yeah, that's that's actually a really good. Yeah, it is. It's how I describe it. Part one and part two, because I had this sort of enormous career for a huge chunk of my life. And then I had children and then and that's one of my kind of sliding doors moments. And then, you know, that life took over in a fantastic way. And I feel at 55, I'm in the part two and really pursuing the passion again of broadcasting, which is what I loved doing, but it's very much in a part two. And obviously my audience now, some people did know me, but other people didn't. Like I'm really starting afresh and living in America, I'm starting again because I'm completely unknown here. So it's a sort of, it's an interesting part too. So it's sort of almost like going back to the beginning, but it's sort of there's a few people that come out of the woodwork going, oh yeah, I remember when. Yeah, well, you know what's so funny? When I told some of my friends I was interviewing you, they were like, oh my God, Emma Forbes from Live and Kicking. And like, Emma, like everybody remembered who you were. Like, does that ever get old when people kind of say? No, I, if I'm honest, it's, it is it is without doubt. And I probably sound like such a stuck record, but it was without doubt the best job I ever had in my life and potentially ever will. It was such sheer happy times in my life doing that show it was a show that I had when um Philip Schofield and Sarah Green were hosting Going Live I was like kind of a dog with a bone I just loved that show I just looked up to them and indeed Sarah Green has remained one of my dearest friends since then but uh, that show to me was like the epitome of you know you know people say what's your dream job it was that like I was like Saturday morning live tv and so doing it I just loved it. You know, I got lucky. I, the first series worked with John Barrowman as well as Andy, who is still one of my dearest friends. And Andy and I just had this sort of, you know, and it's a funny thing because they put a lot of people together in TV and chemistry is a funny thing. You can't buy chemistry. You can't force chemistry. And Andy and I met at Acton Studios and, and we sort of, we found this extraordinary chemistry that just worked. And we sort of were the yin and yang to each other. And as a result, it was just joyful. I just loved it. So when people remember it, I'm so thrilled because they remember it fondly, which I do too. So it's sort of like you go and go, well, I got it right then because I was loving doing it and you loved watching it. So to yeah. me, no, I love and that, that. And that's so nice because it really was the glory days. I was thinking about this, like Saturday morning TV. I mean, yeah. recently we had, um, Kat Dealey did a reunion with Anton Deck about SNTV yeah. Live. And you remember like, that's what Saturdays were about. I mean, I had the live and kicking CD-ROM game. Like, you know, there was everything that you I'm had. sure... I- yeah, and I'm sure Ant and Derek and Kat all say the same thing as well. They were the glory days. And they, I mean, it makes, always makes me sound like I'm 180, but there weren't billions of channels. There were, you know, four channels. Yeah. And, and it was a sort of extraordinary time. You know, you'd arrive, it was, it was no social media. Yeah. So there were no, there was, there was none of that. So I would arrive at the BBC and there'd just be loads of kids outside. They thought Andy and I kind of lived there, which we virtually did. It was at the old BBC in Shepherd's Bush, which I, just loved, you know, the horseshoe car park and kind of yeah. going in the tea bar. I mean, I could walk you through and the smell of it. Like I loved everything about it and the, and the, this huge team of people, this extraordinary team of people and this producer, Chris Bellinger, who I'm still in touch with to this day, who just gave me a break, you know, and yeah. that doesn't really happen anymore in TV either. Like he gave me a break in telly and just went, you've got, you know, six minutes live cooking with Philip and if it goes well, I'll think about it. Like I didn't, so I was just, it was just, an, it was an extraordinary period of time. It was also safe telly. And I know that sounds yeah. really awful, but 
parents could watch it and and there was a lot of innuendo with Trevor and Simon and there was sort of something for everybody and Mm -hmm. I think where it was unique is that we didn't have these huge celebrities on but they didn't come with entourage like you'd have Cher and she'd just come on her own yeah. And you'd say, you know, you're going to be in the kitchen with Emma and then you might be with two puppets and then you might be... And people just sort of came along for the ride. And I think that was a very... I think it was very unique telly like that. Yeah, and they didn't come with, their, as you say, their list of demands and everything that they wanted. And I love that. And, you know, one of the things I love about you is you have such a brilliant enthusiasm for everything that you do. And I feel like you just give your all to everything. And it's so nice to hear your description that how it was back then. And, you know, because that's how we imagined it. Yeah, it it was just how I it was just how you imagined it, it was how it was and I and I am that person I've never been able to do something sort of eighty percent do you know what I mean I'm either yeah. all in or I'm all out like I yeah. don't like the midway point and the reason my life is in two parts is I think after I had kids I could really only do TV to a certain extent because mm-hmm. I wasn't very good at juggling yeah. and uh, and that was difficult whereas now you know my kids are grown up when I do something I can do it hundred percent. Yeah. Now I'm, a, I'm now I'm my own boss. So now yeah. I'm like no, I love I've got that. Great working hours. I could do what I <laughs> Yeah. And we were talking about this before. Like we've both started a podcast during lockdown. Obviously, yeah. you're a lot more experienced in the broadcasting industry and interviewing than I am. But I guess the route is probably quite similar as to why we both started it. I mean, I'm always influenced by other people's stories and you know, one thing someone can say podcast could just change my whole outlook for the day. And you know, yeah. I wanted to kind of impart that wisdom on other people and interview people and give that back is that kind of why you started your podcast yeah it was I think you know for me I'd be always worked I said to you at the beginning I've, I've always worked for somebody else and and I guess I've never been brave enough weirdly to ever think of doing something by myself and and it was always easier and often I was somebody's sidekick which I don't mind I, I actually enjoyed doing that yeah I thought I've always been part of a duo you know if it wasn't with Alan Carr I was the kind of the straight posh girl to Alan Carr or I'd be with Philip or I'd be with Andy and I thought actually maybe I could do this solo and I guess being bored and at home you yeah. know I was like well actually there's never a better time and I myself was listening to podcasts mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of passionate about sort of health and well-being. I thought maybe I can sort of in some way try and string all these together and, and do it. And my biggest, actually, my biggest worry was just that I'm technically really not clever at all. And <laughs> I was like, I, am I going to be able to sort of push the right buttons, which let me tell you, has been a big challenge. <laughs> but I was more worried about that. And actually, it's been lovely because I do think that podcasting is a way of, it's why when you sent me a message, I think it's a really sort of mutually respectful industry. You know, for me, I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee. You're in England. We can have a chat. And I love that. To me, that's mm-hmm. like the joy of podcasting. So I think it's, yeah, I, I really like doing it. And do you feel like you've kind of not, you mean, you probably didn't lose the passion, but do you feel like you've got all those like feelings back of how much you love interviewing? 100%. I know I was really in a place of kind of sadness actually because I really missed it Mm -hmm. so much and and I was in that sort of awful twilight zone where I'd be reunited you've probably seen Andy and I get reunited yearly on some tv program somewhere and I'd be reunited and I'd have like a 24-hour period of just that massive surge of like oh my god this is amazing and everybody going oh my god you two should work together again and then this desert of silence and I'd be like okay so I'd sort of remember it and then it would be taken away. Remember mm-hmm. it and then take it. It was like being in a candy store the whole time yeah. and not really being able to get your hand in the jar. And so now I'm literally loving it because it's mm. given me my purpose back. It's given me my passion back. 
it's ignited my love for broadcasting. It's made yeah. me want to do more and more things. And I'm really enjoying it. Whereas before, when you're struggling to get back somewhere, mm-hmm. it's pretty depressing, actually. Yeah. Not going to lie. It's no. pretty miserable. And you're right. Like, I think what's brilliant about today, you know, we can all go on about how social media, I mean, isn't the best thing ever, but the whole world of podcasting, can, it's just an, a lease of life for so many people to... It is a lease of life. And I think unlike other places, I mean, I know it matters to my team and things, how many downloads and things like that we get, but I don't really, I don't know about you. I find a podcast, I found yours, just loved it, loved the idea, loved the thing. And, and it doesn't matter so yeah. much on that level. Do you know what I mean? Everything you do on TV is like, oh my God, it didn't get the ratings. Like it's not, you know, a good enough time slot. You know, you're too old. You're this. You don't look the part. There's there's an awful lot. You know, I was so held up in many things because of my accent, right? Yeah. So, so, so podcasting is so great because literally none of that matters. Yeah, you're so right. And you know what? The podcast that actually I do think are successful are the ones that are done out of a pure passion i.e like i love the film sliding doors and i love yeah. that whole what if concept that how yeah. things would have happened i mean we were just talking about it before like what do you love so much about the film of like the sliding doors film and concept well i just i love the concept and, yeah. I, and I do think that and and when you you know asked me to do this it was like think of three sliding door moments I thought actually there were so many aren't there yeah. in life? I mean there's probably like one a day you know there's just <laughs> moments where you just think Ooh, the what ifs. And it, and I'm not a believer that one should go back in life and, re- mm-hmm. and not regret. Yeah. But there really are moments that are defining in life of sort of that you remember. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I've rewatched the film many a time and I think there's lots of different ways you can look at it. I think one of the key messages of the film is you will always end up where I think you're meant to be, whether you go the long route or the short route, whether you cut your hair short and dye it blonde, whether you keep it long. And actually in my great sort of well-being, sort of, you know, passion on the side, I remember one of the many conversations I had with, with, he was some kind of, I think therapist or life coach that I've been interviewing. And I said, you know, the thing I find so hard is not being able to fix things for my kids. Like I'm a great fixer. And, yeah. and when they're little, you can, you can put, you know, a plaster on their knee. You can, you can, you know, cheer them up if a friend, you know, has been mean to them at school. You can, you can do all those things. I said, when they're grown up, you can't do it. You can't. And he turned around to me and he said, stop trying to spoil their journey. And I yeah. was like, I was actually really offended. I was like, I'm not spoiling it. I'm trying to make the journey a hell of a lot better. Like I'm trying to pave that road with gold. And yeah. he was like, but don't. He said, because nobody did that for you. He's like, things happen for a reason. And I'm, I am a huge believer in that. Yeah. I am like, you know, and I have installed that in my kids. Like if they don't get a job, I'm like, you didn't get that for a reason. You don't know it now, but you're going to look back later and go, you know what? That was the right choice. Because I do think life has that sliding door kind of, feel to it yeah Yeah. and what I love about your moments is you've got a great mixture of moments but also decisions um which leads us into your first one which was actually um a key decision that you made so we've spoken a lot about live and kicking what that meant to you but you were actually offered the big breakfast um before you took live and kicking but you decided not to take it um and (laughs) I can imagine this was like at the kind of like disbelief of a lot of people well, it was a really extraordinary moment in time because I was literally nobody, right? So this is right at the beginning of my yeah. career. And I got asked to go for an audition for The Big Breakfast with this man, Chris Evans. And I really nervous. I mean, 
you can imagine, super nervous. And I went for the audition and it was Bob Geldof and it was, you know, big people. And it yeah. was in this you know, uber cool house and it was, you know, very Channel 4, very kind of overwhelmingly cool. And we had to film like a, a pilot version. Mm-hmm. And I've never forgotten it because I was this sort of, you know, the, the posh girl to Chris Evans kind of thing. And uh, in this pilot, he <laughs> he picked his nose, flipped it. And went, what are you going to do about that, Emma? Uh, he sort of flicked it across the room. And I, I, I for whatever reason, the reaction I gave, they must have loved because they thought yeah. it was kind of funny because I was a bit like, ooh, that's gross. <laughs> yeah. And I came home and he won't, I'm sure he won't mind me telling that story because it was kind of funny. And he was so outrageous, but I think I came across like a kind of school mom. And they Yeah, and you kind of work well together. Chemistry. So I came home, but I never thought I'd got it. And they rang and they offered me the job. And actually to this day, let me tell you, the salary would be epic to me to this day. So that's kind of how big a deal it was. Yeah. And because they also offered to buy me a car because I'd have to drive there at four in the morning. And I was newly married and it was huge. And my husband was sweet. And he was like, listen, if you want to do it, you know, like we'll make it work. Cause he also worked really hard. And my dad, who was very much a sort of uh, an important figure to me in my career at yeah. that moment in time, I went to him and I said, I've got to talk to you. Cause I said, I'm just, I don't know that I can do that. I said, I, I, I know they liked me in it, but it wasn't really me to mm-hmm to be like that. And I'm very intimidated by it as opposed to kind of relaxed. Yeah. He said, well, what is the job you really want? I said, well, my dream is to be on Saturday morning TV. Then at that point, um, you know, I'd been bugging the producer of that. And I said, I just feel if I just stick at that. And my dad said, you must go with your gut. And I turned it down and they were horrified I have a feeling I don't even know who my agent was at the time I have a feeling even my agent I might that might be me elaborating it but I'm not sure my I I can't imagine an agent would have been too thrilled with me yeah of course not and I turned it down and they were truly horrifying I bet and I think I'm embarrassed to say I think I also enlisted my dad to help me on the phone call because I was sort of young you know I was like immature and, and I was a bit frightened by it all and do you know what all credit where credit's due because Gabby was completely the right girl for the job. And I'm not just saying it because I know her and love her, but she absolutely was. And I, I genuinely believe that, that that I wouldn't have worked in the long run with that. And shortly after that, I got on Saturday morning TV and, and then I ultimately got it. And I would never have been able, obviously, to do the two because it was BBC and Channel 4. And I really believe that the right person got the job. And I met Chris I think like I, I met him a while, like quite a few years later. And he was just like, what the hell? Was that? I, was like, yeah. I was like, honestly, you ended up with the right girl. And it was such a great moment. He sent a bottle of champagne to my room. It was the sweetest thing. And, um, and I'm a huge admirer of him too. But I think there was an innate feeling in me that I knew I was doing it not 100%. Yeah. And there was a hesitation in me. And therefore with me, I wouldn't have given my best and that Mm -hmm. would have worried me. And then that makes, you can only really get up at 4am for a job five days a week if you're thousand percent in it. Yeah. And you know what? It's 
what's really interesting about what you said is I feel like as you get older, you have the confidence to say no to things more. And as you said, you were yeah. quite young. So it's a really scary thing to do, but it probably helped you throughout your life to realize that saying no to things that don't feel right isn't that you don't have to say yes and please everybody. Sometimes you can think no, about what it, you want. And I'm not always that good at that. As I say, I mean, I really sweated over the decision and people were horrified. And when I went yeah. for jobs subsequently, people would go, did you genuinely turn down the big breath? <laughs> they were truly horrified by it. And I think then it got forgotten once Gabby did it and they had the, you know, and it was a huge success and the Paulie Yates and, and that was its own bubble and it was so the perfect yeah. bubble. And, and but but it sort of made me infamous for, for all the wrong reasons, really. But um, But it was a really big decision and I'm sort of proud of myself in a way for doing it at a stage where I actually don't think I would, it makes me sound very brave, but I don't think I was at a very brave stage in my life. I think I just... I, I just was overwhelmed with this innate kind of like, I just don't think I can do this. I do believe in life that if you have that feeling when you yeah. get offered a job, any job that I've loved, I've had zero hesitation in saying yes to. Yeah. And, and that's and how you that know. With age and experience, but any job that has been right has been the job where I've kind of gone, oh my God, yes. Yeah. And I've not thought about it twice. When I've ever hesitated, then you it's know. always slightly been a bit of a disaster. But it's also about you knowing yourself. Everybody's different. And yeah. so what so from saying no to the big breakfast, how long was the gap before you did get the job at Live and Kicking? I think it was about six months. Okay. And um, you know, so it wasn't long. I was sort of in that process because I used to write to the producer every week of Live and Kicking. And, Love that. and I say write because in those days you wrote, you know, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. kind of tweet him or anything like that. And I write to him, dear Mr. Bellinger wondering if you got and he was adorable and it's you know I've said this story many times before but he basically I got the email that just said you know you've bugged me half to death I've kept the email the letter you've bugged me half to death I don't need any more presenters but why don't you come into my office and meet me yeah and I literally I the 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 going live and subsequently live and kicking office was this huge long side um and I remember I walked through and it was just endless desks with people sorting out mail and the Gordon the Gopher stuff and this, that, and the other. And I walked down this office and I just thought, I would die to be in this office like this is it. And I, I went into that. his room and he just said, I have two presenters. You literally don't leave me alone. What could you do? And off the top of my head, I looked at him and I just went, cookery. <laughs> and he went, cookery. And I said, you don't do cookery. It was a wild guess, right? And he went, you're so right. I don't. He said, and can you cook? And I went, absolutely. I'm the which best cook in the world. Which I couldn't, which is clearly <laughs> obvious from the cookery slots. And he said, six minutes with Philip next Saturday, live. I'd never done live telly. Nothing. Amazing. So, yeah. Did you ever bring that up with him? Like, I mean, when obviously Live and Kicking became a massive success with you and Andy, do you kind of be like, listen, told you all those, all those letters. Yeah, I mean, I used to bring it up to him if he ever, you know, yes. I mean, we used to, we just had the most amazing relationship. He just was my mentor. Mm -hmm. And I think that sadly, I think that sort of figure is is not so prevalent anymore. Um, I don't think people have the power to do that. I don't think telly is, it, it takes the risks anymore because it's become all about ratings and viewing figures and being PC and ticking the right boxes. Whereas in those days, you could really take a chance on somebody. Yeah. And honestly, this is one of my favorite slang girls moments that I've heard because I love the fact that not only did you kind of 
make a decision that went so against the grain of what other people would do but it really shows that perseverance and patience for really knowing what you want and kind of waiting to get it and look where it, like as you say if you'd have done I mean I'm sure you'd have been brilliant on the big breakfast but as you say it's very different doing daily tv to Saturday morning you wouldn't be where you are now I wouldn't be I wouldn't have been as good on it and I probably would have done it for a bit and they'd have probably got rid of me because I wasn't as good and Gabby would have still got the job because she was better than me at that. <laughs> and I would have probably been unemployed and the live and kicking job would have gone to the other 52 billion presenters who also wanted that job. So, yeah. you know, it really was a defining moment for me. Actually. Yeah, um, no, I love it so much. And as I say, I miss Saturday morning TV a lot. Um, so do I. <laughs> so much. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, <laughs> so going on to your second moment. So this is a lot yeah. more personal and thank you so much yes. for sharing it with us. So um, it's when you found out that your sister had lymphoma, it was really yeah. life changing and put everything into perspective for you. So when did you find out that she did? And do you kind of remember that moment so, where everything changed? Oh yeah. So I put that in as a sliding door moment because I think that happens to a lot of people because I think cancer is something we all know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed the whole way through my life, I've always, you know, I've worked for cancer charities. I've interviewed people about cancer. I've interviewed people um, who've come through the other side of cancer. I've had cancer in friends. I, you know, it's touched me, but not on that level. Yeah. And um, basically during lockdown, obviously I'm away from my sister. I'm super close to my sister. She's six years older than me. And she's always been the kind of, she, we call her whiz, whiz. Cause she's like this fast, you know, like she's whizzy, you know, she's just kind of all, you know, brilliant like that. And other than migraines, she's never been sick. Like she's always yeah. fine. And during lockdown, we'd spoken a lot because she'd had what we thought were kind of panic attacks. Um, and I preface this with like, don't anybody listening think that these symptoms are anything yeah. to do with cancer because it's all, you know, individual and everything. But we'd been speaking and she was like, you know, I wake up at night and I'm, you know, she had these just strange symptoms, itching, funny things. And although I'd listened to it, to me, she was sort of my older sister that was sort of uh, indestructible. Yeah, always, yeah. You know, I'd never really thought of her in that position. And she'd gone, she said to me, you know, they think it's COVID. She was breathless. She kept getting so breathless. And I said, well, maybe it is COVID. You know, she had a children's shop. She took over my children's shop in London and made it a huge success. And she'd been, I said, maybe it's COVID. She had two COVID tests. And this sort of went on and on over Mm -hmm. a period of weeks. 
And then she rang me and she said, you know, I, I'm so breathless when I get to the top of the stairs. I thought, oh, that's really weird. Like that's yeah. odd. And she, so they're sending me to a specialist. And if I'm completely honest, you know, there's a five hour time difference here. And I knew she was going, but I hadn't really sort of given it that much thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but my husband came downstairs and I, I've been with him long enough. I kind of said, hi, is everything again? He said, I, I just need to tell you something. And I looked at his face and I just, I absolutely yeah. knew that it was something a, not good, and B, kind of life-changing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And he said, Sarah's been to, to the specialist and they've kept her in hospital and it's cancer. And I literally, it was like, it is a switch and you just mm-hmm. kind of go, okay, that's, you know, why did I care about, you know, putting on COVID five pounds? Why do I care that my roots are showing? Why do I care? And it's really it just puts life in complete perspective because, you know, my passion is health and well-being, and you're like, yeah, health is just everything. And you can, you can do everything and you can be fit and healthy and these things come at you. And so for me, it was a massive, just a real wake up call. And I felt desperate because I couldn't be there. And even if I got back, I couldn't be there because in COVID you can't be with somebody when they're having chemo. I couldn't take care of her. So I've had to sort of establish this long distance care on a different level, which has, um, you know, I guess defined me more and also brought us even closer together, even though we're further apart. And that, I guess, so it was like a massive life lesson, a massive kind of coping mechanism and a massive kind of, oh my God, nothing else matters. Like I would give up everything to get her a better, like, it's like that kind of, you just go, what do I care about? She lost her hair within two weeks, every single hair on her head. And you just kind of go, oh my God, you know, a lot of us in lockdown, me with my friends, all we talked about was our hair. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, my hair's a disaster. Oh my God, the wound. Oh my God, like I long to get a blow dry. I long to this, that, the other. And I thought she's lost every hair on her head in two weeks. Like, it's crazy and so do you really feel I mean it does to anybody and I can't imagine how hard it is not being with her but did it really kind of shift all perspective for you um and the way that you were feeling about things yes it did and I think you know in a way it it also I've always been quite fearful's the wrong word but I'm a much more sort of anxious I do suffer from anxiety and I'm a much more sort of anxious person about things and there was a huge shift to me because I thought my god if she can go through chemo Mm-hmm. solo in covid like i can cope with the things that i'm anxious about yeah in, you know because that's just like ridiculous and i guess because we share this great sense of humor it sort of brought out the humor in both of us too because i'd be like oh you know i'm worried about doing and she'd be like no my cancer top trumps that I'm like <laughs> if i can go through I chemo that. you can do that and i'd be like no you're right okay i'm not saying anything it's kind yeah. of like it, do you know what i mean it just makes you go okay, there's bigger stuff to deal with here. Yeah. And listen, it must be really hard because as you say, having being a sister, you must worry and you must get that kind of anxiety. However, as you say, also just putting things into perspective, just the shit doesn't matter anymore. And you can it just doesn't it matter. You just yeah. kind of go, I can just get rid of this shit, which she did too. I mean, it was the same for her. She was just yeah. like, you know, what were we all worrying about? Like life is for living. And we've spent most of her chemo just talking about sort of, 
that moment when she ends the chemo and, and the partying and when we can come out of COVID and, and we sort of get ourselves through it by sort of planning that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? No, I love that. And you've um, also, you made a really lovely point because I think that so, cancer touches so many people yeah. and actually it, it is a defining moment because you'll it, it will never be the same again from the perspective of, you know, you live life in a different way and you live it with potentially more of a zest for life and not yeah, taking and things for granted. Become, yes. And I think I've become more knowledgeable about it because I think still, particularly for like my, my, my mother's age, you know, cancer is, 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 is the word that everybody dreads and everybody thinks that it's a death sentence. My sister has lymphoma and I basically found a charity. I Googled charity called mm-hmm. Lymphoma Action UK and I emailed them and I rang them and I bugged them to death as well. And I said, do you need anybody to do anything? Like, I, I would like to help you. Yeah. I'm a broadcaster. Like, what can I do? And also I want knowledge. Like I, 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 because my sister, you know, we didn't want to Google yeah. and you know, you can really you go down a dark hole. And I only did it one evening and I, to this day, regret ever doing that. Because yeah. the minute you start doing that, it's like, don't. Um, and so I rang them and I said, I want you, I want like, and they're brilliant because they're a support charity. Mm-hmm. And I'm so much more knowledgeable on the fact that actually, you know, there are certain forms of cancer that you don't have to be as fearful of because they're dealable with, they're treatable with. Hopefully my sister's is treatable and curable and manageable, uh, you know, and the, and the, uh, hund- we're hoping that it's going to completely go. Yeah. But even if it doesn't, it's a very treatable cancer. So I guess for me, it was a bit of a life-changing moment as well because I think like a lot of other people, I had always thought that cancer you know, that was just not a good word and it didn't ever have a a very good outcome. And now I'm like, no, it will. And I'm sort of passionate now about how can I be a voice to help or do anything along that journey. Um, Amazing. And as you said before, you give a hundred percent to everything. So I have no doubt that you will keep fighting. I mean, that charity, when I spoke to them, they were like, the lovely girls there, they were like, are you sure? You know, because we, I was like, you haven't, you don't know me that well yet. I said, when I tell you I'm going to give myself to you, I mean it. And you, like, you'll okay, want to get rid of great. me. You won't, you won't stop hearing from me soon. Um, oh, but yeah. no, it's brilliant. And listen, I hope things do go well with your sister. And I oh, think that you. it's a brilliant message to everyone. As you say, it literally resonates so much about the whole haircut thing. It's like, we should all just be thankful yeah, for what we have. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, we just have to be grateful for that. Because let me tell you, seeing somebody with chemo lose it in two weeks it's pretty epic yeah it's so hard well yeah fingers crossed we're all going to be jabbing over you. there soon um, yes exactly so on to your last moment so I'm going to let you explain this properly but it's basically talking around juggling the work-life balance and your work dynamic um yeah and again I love this because it's your moment and it's very sometimes it's very hard to pinpoint a time where you can remember feeling a certain way but do you want to kind of just explain to everybody yes, this one I this one I gave to you because it was more of a feeling an internal yeah. feeling than something huge but I was basically I Lily my daughter I think she was she was under a year old and it was a live show that they were testing out on the BBC to sort of rival the type of this well I don't think this morning was it might have been Richard and Judy or something but it was to sort of rival that it was like a a morning show type vibe a huge deal for me yeah but it was very much being you know it was it had been commissioned but they were going to see kind of how it went and Lily was as I say under a year old and you know all credit I have nothing but admiration and credit for mothers that can juggle it all I wasn't good at it I I had Mm -hmm. postnatal depression Lily you know who I love with every ounce of my life but she literally didn't sleep for the first five years of her life I, I I used to dream 
of sleep. I used to <laughs> dream of going somewhere and somebody going, you can lie here and sleep. So for me, that work-life juggle mm-hmm. was super hard. I had a husband, that, I didn't have a house husband. I had a husband that worked as well. So for me, it was like, I had to hand her to somebody else. I, I, I'm a real control freak. So for me, every element was a challenge. Yeah. And this particular job, they had, we had a, always had a morning briefing at 10 and then the, or whatever time it was, I don't know, eight. And then, and then the show would go live. I'd sort of actually forgotten half the details to do with it, but there was a briefing meeting always. And I had been up the night before with Lily who had had, you know, a temperature or was teething or something. And I'd literally had no sleep. And I'd done that kind of Nurofen cowpole swapping over that yeah. lots of mums will resonate with. And I managed to kind of, you know, hand her over unwillingly at sort of, you know, 8am in order to get to this meeting and sort of pull myself together in time. But I was 10 minutes late for the meeting. And I had a very fierce female producer that I was always slightly scared of. She was quite brusque. Yeah. And um, and a co-host who at the time didn't have children. So, you know, anyway, but I knew my producer did. So I, I, I was 10 minutes late and I walked in and I said, I am so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm 10 minutes late, but I've had one of those nights where I've been up all night with a baby and I'm sure you get it. And she said, well, I don't get it because my child is actually currently in hospital. Um, she's having an operation and I still am here on time. And I oh sat God. down and it was just like one of those sort of, if it was a cartoon, it was a kind of light bulb moment yeah. for me. And I thought, gosh, and I'm not judging her, right? Because no, as I say, everybody is different. But yeah. for me, I just thought, I know that if my child was in hospital, I wouldn't be able to be sitting here at all. Like I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have come in. And I thought to myself, so it was more of a subtle internal thing. I thought, Emma, you got to make the decision here because Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to do this. And, and it showed the show was terrible. It was taken off air about six weeks later. I mean, never to be seen again. And I think, I was truly awful on it because I was completely preoccupied and I kind of couldn't relax. Do you you know what I mean? I was always, and, and it, and it, and it bothered me, you know, Mm -hmm. it bothered me. It bothered me that I I thought to myself, and I remember at the time I was kind of, I was, I I had postnatal depression, but not necessarily diagnosed. And so my, my postnatal depression took the form of feeling very overwhelmed with responsibility so I would get to the BBC and I'd think, oh my God, oh my God, what if something happens to her and I'm not there? What yeah. if her temperature goes up? And for me, it was like, it took too much of my brain to be able to do like, hey, morning, blah, blah, blah. And like, so and give you 100%. I couldn't give 100%. And I thought, I'm going to have to think really carefully about this. And I'd sort of, I was still, you know, on the crest of my career wave, but it was the, it was the moment that my career started to wane. And I always talk about it because people go, oh my God, did you do that? I said, we sort of both gave each other up, if you know yeah. what I mean. Because what happened was I would, and I think my agent, I was with such a cool agent that I adored and I loved. But having been the girl that was like available 24 7, seven days a week and mm-hmm. happy and a thousand percent, I was selective. And I can only say this in hindsight. Yeah, but I'd of course. Be like, oh my God, that's an amazing job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go, it's in Glasgow for two days. And I go, no. And they go, what do you mean? No. And I go, I can't go. I don't want to spend, I didn't want to spend the night away. Mm-hmm. And it just, so we both sort of gave each other up. Yeah. And not willingly, really. I think oh, there was a huge not. part of me that still wanted to do it. 
And I was lucky enough to still be being asked to do it. But I couldn't make it meet in the middle. Yeah. And you know what? It's hard because comparison to others is something I always think about. And, you know, you talk about if you have therapy and that type of stuff. And the hard thing is, is that, you know, deep down, like you, you know, when that person said to you, well, I wouldn't have been late, you know, deep down, well, that's not what I think, but they make you think like, well, if she can do it, why can't I do it? And then it brings yes. up this whole other like realm of Yeah, thought. exactly. And you feel really, yes, you're right, because we try not to compare ourselves, but we do. And I, and as I say, to this day, I'm in awe of presenters that can juggle it. I mean, I look in COVID at like Holly Willoughby, homeschooling, three kids, doing, you know, live telly every, I mean, all credit where credit's due. Fern Cotton is somebody that's amazing and she's really verbal about it too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I say verbal, I mean, she talks about it and, yeah. and she's very authentic about it. And I think for me, um, at that stage of my career too, you couldn't really talk about that as much. No, either. It it's so different. You know, mental health wasn't something you spoke about as much and you kind of, you were a little bit shameful that you weren't that. I was a bit ashamed that I wasn't superwoman. You know, when I was pregnant with Lily, I went round the BBC saying, oh, I'll, it makes me laugh now. I literally went round saying to people, I'll probably take about, about two weeks off and then I'll be back. <laughs> two weeks. I mean, I was in cloud cuckoo land and I can remember so well kind of like ringing, you know, Graham from the hospital and kind of going, can you, oh, bring my jeans in for when I leave hospital? And he looked at me slightly horrified, but obviously not wanting to kind of cross that bridge. And I was like, what? And he was like, do you want to leave in your jeans? I was like, well, hell yeah. I t- t- no idea that it would take me like the next 20 years to get back to my <laughs> and ever find those. So all those things, I was very, it, it was a job I hadn't been taught to do, you know, yeah. presenting came easily and parenting for me, I was, I felt very responsible and, and compared myself to people that I thought were better at it and, and, and amazing. And so for me, I sat there and it was just a real defining moment. And if I look back, you know, it was a real moment where I had to go, I've got to find, I think I've got to take space out of this. And then when I had my son two and a half years later, I was like, yeah, I'm really going to have to step back because I, I don't want to, you know, miss this. Yeah. And you know what? Everybody's different. Like just because somebody can juggle everything, it doesn't mean they're any better than someone that can't. But I guess in your industry, it doesn't feel like that sometimes. Feel like that. No, it doesn't feel like that. It makes you feel like a failure. And, you know, my husband, you know, really worked long hours and traveled. So I wasn't in a position where I could kind of go, well, let's do alternate days or, you know, I couldn't do that, you know, Mm -hmm. and my parents both worked. So it wasn't like I had that structure some people have an amazing structure where they can like move their mum in or their mum you know what I mean and they have that built in and I was terrible at letting go like you know my sister would tell a very funny story of the first time I went out for for drinks after I had Lily and and Graham and I have been invited somebody literally for like drinks for like two hours and I dropped her to my sister's house I took three made-up bottles of formula her baby bath four changes of clothing (laughs) six nappies and Sarah was like how long are you leaving her for and I was like you know and cow pollen I mean I literally was I I was that person the whole house I have to be prepared like at all times and Sarah was like genuinely and my sister had three children let me tell you about it Sarah was like I can honestly cope so don't worry I love that. I love that so much. And it's actually really nice to look back at those moments and be like, I can't believe I was like that. But as you say, like you learn and you were probably very different with your son when you had him. I Um, was. And I guess, you know, as I say, you know, would I be where I was today? 
you know, maybe not, you know, I think I've Mm -hmm. done, you know, as good a job as I can with my kids and they're happy and healthy and independent. And I think, okay, so something in that recipe was right. And and we could only do our best. You know, there's no manual. You don't get taught to be a mum. Totally. And as you said, you got to let people follow the journey and not, you know, let them yeah. go off on the bumps in the road. Yeah. So yeah. before we finish, um, I'd love to know kind of what, what's kind of in Emma's part two, um, you know, site, like where, where are you going? What else is kind of the podcast well, is brilliant. Everyone should listen, but what else is kind of your hopes and dreams? Well, for the I guess, part? you know what, it's really interesting. My, my hopes and dreams have become before I'd want to take it further and further and further and further. And actually, I'm loving doing what I'm doing so much Mm -hmm. that I actually, to me, I'm just like, I just really want to continue what I'm doing and sort of grow it. I love doing the podcast. And if it only ever is a podcast, I'm happy with that. And that takes a lot for me to say. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm seriously happy. I aim to get Oprah would be my dream guest. There's got to put, put your dream icons up. And I'm just putting it out there. And actually, when I interviewed, um, it was Fern Cotton, actually. She said, if you manifest something for 17 seconds a day, apparently something happens. So I totally agree. Every available opportunity, I'm just like, Oprah. <laughs> um, but, you know, in a dream world, I'd love to get back on the TV in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. But it's not as obsessive a dream, if that yeah. makes sense. I'm like, I really love what I'm doing. I love being my own boss. I think I'm a really nice person to work yes, with. Yes, you sound like um, it. You know, I think there's good snacks with my job, good working hours, yeah, good you know, perks. nice environment. I'm quite happy. I can travel with it. And, and I, no, all seriousness, I really enjoy it because it gives me, it actually ticks the box I want it to do, which is I can be, put my family first, mm-hmm. but I can still work. Love and, that. and that's what I love. So to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of content career You know what? I was I literally just about long. to say, it's that whole philosophy of being content is where we all want to be in life. It's not yeah. about being happy. It's about being content. I'm content. So at the moment what my sliding door is in the future. I don't know. Well, we'll find out in a few years. We'll have you back. <laughs> yeah. but Emma, it's been so lovely to chat to you. I'm so glad to have you back in my life um, no, and hearing well, your I'm... voice on your podcast um, and really appreciate you coming on and sharing your moments with us. So thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. And thank you for getting in touch with me. That is the benefit of social media. So thank you for A, getting in touch with me and having me on because I've actually loved every second of this. I love being interviewed. Thank it's you. a pleasure. Thanks so much, Emma. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.